Welcome, everyone, to the uh, final episode of Season 1 of the Kindness Rebellion podcast. This has been an awesome journey, and I appreciate you all being here to listen with me. Um, this is a perfect season finale with uh, the pod, uh, the hosts of the Moneyless Society podcast, um, Matt, Amanda, and Marlo. This, this was an awesome conversation. I've been wanting to have this for a long time, and it was really cool to be able to to kind of get them on the same page and and uh, and get this this really awesome conversation going. Um, please make sure to check out their podcast as well. Like, uh, they're probably going to release this same episode on on their podcast as well. So, um, check out their other episodes. They've had some amazing guests that I am just very jealous about, um, and some really really good conversation, really good ideas, good dialogue, and and ways to feel inspired to move forward because that's what we all need, right? Um, and then they also released their book, um, Moneyless Society, The Next Economic Evolution, which is uh, just a great synopsis of like the, pro- the systemic problems that we see and some potential solutions and ways to move forward. Um, specifically through a moneyless society and it's uh it, it please support them like we just we need the help we need people who are excited and passionate about this so that we can really grow this movement and and start collectivizing all of these talents and and in the spirit of doing so um i'll also share just like the the other um members of the moneyless society that i've been networking with and have even had on the podcast and things like that um and their uh projects so that you can go and support them you know the first one uh Rod Keys was on the podcast earlier in this season. He wrote that book, uh, or he wrote his book, um, The Naturally Good Man and the 10,000 Blades of Life. Um, that is just an awesome book about, uh, you know, masculinity and redefining it in terms of emotional intelligence to help men grow and be more, you know, uh, safe and, um, you know, powerful in their own lives and things like that. And it's just wonderful. Uh, then there's also Thomas Wright, who was on the previous podcast. Uh, he he has a bunch of different projects. Um, the Phobus Tech is his um, his main entity, and then you can also check out his YouTube channels, uh, Black Body Economics and Creation Tribe. He's got some great uh, content on there that helps with like you know kind of just understanding economics and science, as well as like uh, you know his Creation Tribe channel is like spirituality and things like that. Um, some of the other projects that I've uh, become acquainted with and uh, become friends and you know become friends with the people that made these projects is uh, uh, Michael Plischke and his app Communivate. Uh, make sure to check that out. It is uh, you know it's an app for organizing community action and and kind of making that uh, more accessible for people to start making more uh, meaningful change in their communities. So um, please support that right there. And then there's also also Lavra and their. Uh, their website magnova which is essentially like a hub for um you know kind of organizing distribution of uh, resources and skills as well as like helping you access resources and skills and it's also meant to be very um, open source and accessible to um essentially be so that other you know uh, projects can be easily implemented and integrated in with it so make sure to check that out as well um, without further ado, let's go ahead and start this awesome podcast. And uh, please like, share, and subscribe. Let me know what you think. Thanks so much. This is a podcast about rejecting tyranny and oppression by cultivating both systemic and individual change. I believe the only way to create this kind of monumental change is to inspire understanding, love, and kindness. From there, we can work to embody these essential values in our cultural systems and in our individual lives. My hope is that by effectively communicating with anyone and everyone, 
we can establish a shared vision for humanity and explore new ways of living to build a better world for all of us. I'm your host, Nathan Jones, and this is The Kindness Rebellion. Welcome one, welcome all. Thank you guys so much for coming on to the Kindness Rebellion. This is this is honestly an awesome opportunity for me to have all three of you here on the podcast with me. Um, I just, I gotta say that I, I love the Moneyless Society. I love the work that you all have been doing. Um, I love the message and the vision, and I'm really excited to bring you all onto the podcast. I've had Marlo on previously, and we had an awesome conversation, um, just kind of about our own personal history with, uh, you know, kind of becoming radicalized and, uh, uh, learning all of the the systemic bullshit that's been going on and how we've kind of coped with it. And it was uh, one of my favorite episodes. And I'm, I'm so happy to have uh, Matt and Amanda on here as well to, uh, to go over just all of the all of the nitty gritty of a moneyless society. I think one of the main things that I want to really cover today is just kind of the the backlash that I tend to hear from people when I when I talk about a moneyless society, because I'm very, I'm very passionate about it. And I think that there's there's a, a lot of, uh, there's a beautiful vision there and there's a, many directions that we could all go with it. And so I'm excited to hear directly from you all, um, kind of like what a moneyless society means to you. So um, let's just go ahead and uh, we'll start in order from my cameras. <laughs> we'll start with Matt. What is, what is a moneyless society to you? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, when I started the whole Moneyless Society website and everything, it was kind of like I was really just exploring that idea. It wasn't like I'd really had figured it all out. And I, and I really still don't profess to have figured it all out, you know. Um, to me, I mean, what the, the direction that we're really headed here is a society that, you know, there's no currency. Uh, and we also try to eliminate the need for trade. And, and that means also like trading your time, your labor, uh, in order to survive on a daily basis for, you know, necessities or things that you, things that you need just to live. Um, mm -hmm. and, and in its place, we were trying to develop a system that would, you know, just bring about abundance through technology and cooperation, really it just kind of heading the other direction from the competitive model that we have in place now. And, uh, you know, instead of wor working within the profit model to where everybody's kind of keeping, you know, profit for themselves, where it's more of a sharing equitable model. And, um, and eventually in the long term, we think those types of models would be able to uh, just essentially work better than the profit system at providing, you know, what everybody needs. Um, mm. You know, and there's a lot of details in there that are up for discussion and up for grabs. I mean, just kind of depending on where you are, the culture, the, um, uh, you know, the access to just local resources, things like that, geography, you know, the solutions are going to be different, you know, depending on you know, where people are and, uh, you know, their cultures and things like that as well. So there's a lot to consider, you know, when talking about that. Um, I think those ideas are definitely possible, but, you know, there's a lot up, you know, up for discussion as well. So I, I like to emphasize that point and say, you know, we don't have like some dogmatic system that we're trying to preach to everybody. We're really just trying to kind of have open conversations about this stuff and, you know, find patterns and things that work, you know, and then combine those patterns and things that work together in ways that we could create, you know, a new society that essentially works better. So that's kind of the foundation of it. And we explore those ideas a lot, you know, on our podcast and in, in the book uh, that's coming out soon. So, um, 
yeah, there's tons to talk about. It's a huge subject, just goes on and on and on with, you know, many different facets and, and aspects to it. And, um, and it's really interesting. We, we enjoy talking about it. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's fun and really happy that we get to do, you know, this work on, on a daily basis, too. It's, it's, it's interesting and exciting. So and thanks for having awesome. us on. Of course. Yeah, I love that. Um, Marlo. Amanda, you go first. I'm still, uh, I'm still like uh, recouping from the uh, moneyed world that we live in mm. today. So I'm, I'm getting warmed up a little bit. You called me at a rare, understandable, at a rare downturn. Uh, my mental health the last several weeks or months or through this season and through this process of finishing this movie and everything has just been. It's either it's like either a, a, a downward spiral or a very slow roller coaster. So um, <laughs> I'm, I'm having I'm having more and more trouble. Um, maintaining that uh, revolutionary optimism and zeal and enthusiasm. Mm -hmm. I'll I'll go ahead and make this my turn. I'll go ahead because we don't live in a moneyless society. You know, we do not. Mm -hmm. We do not. We live in a society where every fucking thing costs money. Everything you need to live costs money. I don't have healthcare. I don't have the ability to uh, better myself, you know, to be even to be a better product for the capitalist system. Like I would be so much better of a little worker bee if I had the basic food, water, housing, shelter, all of those things taken care of. I would be a better cog in the machine, you know? Like I, I think about like uh, the CCP's relationship to their people as, uh, you know, as related to the American system is that they just kind of recognize the importance of maintaining their farm equipment. You know, at the end of the day, everyone in the world, just about, unless you're in a very isolated scenario, living as a hunter-gatherer or... Um, you're in a tribe somewhere in the, the Amazon that's being burned away. Uh, you live in a moneyed system. And, you know, we, we live under this one world totalitarian government that all the conservatives and every conspiracy theorist is terrified is going to come. It's going to come creeping up on us. Like, oh, what if what if one world government, one system took over the whole world? Well, it's like you go to, you know, Mexico and you change in your, you know, uh, resource tokens for a different kind of resource tokens. And people are still working the same jobs, living in the same boxes, existing in the same framework. And that's the structure that this monetary system has just very naturally produced in us. This trading system, this market system, this way of, you know, putting a price tag on every single fucking thing that exists. And, you know, more and more um, dimensions of life have been invaded by that price tag, where even things like love and companionship and connection and you know, all of these things have been commodified and turned into things to sell. And, you know, we operate in the social media spaces a lot. And the microcosm of that is, you know, the like, which is it's just, you know, a perfect little macro microcosm of the money system that it's meaningless. It has no connection to reality, but it totally dictates how cool and popular and how seen and how heard and how able to connect to other people you are. So a moneyless society for me right now is an escape pod from this horrible existence. It's, it's an attempt to build not just some idealized utopia, but to actually coalesce some sort of collective effort from the people that understand that these systems and structures and, you know, uh, cultures are failing us to come together and create something that works to, to do the fucking obvious, which is to come together with other people with like values, pool our resources and create a shelter from this shit fiery shit storm of cost and debt and you know just this continually eroding process that's just weathering us down to nothing down to nubs to where we can't even get on the mic and 
and deliver a fiery sermon about a visionary world that could be, you know? <laughs> Seems pretty <laughs> fiery to me right now, man. <laughs> he never money the society. A moneyless society is, uh, well, I, I learn by failing, so I should hope I keep failing. Um, a moneyless Smart. society is, it's just, I was just taking a whiz a minute ago and I was thinking like, man, how stupid it is that we're just embroiled in all these discussions about policy and tweaking this and changing that and all these ways of amending the system. And you got the MMT people that are like, yeah, money's bullshit. You can make as much of you want, as much of it as you want, but we still need it. You know, it's like, oh, we can't push people too far. You know, when it's just like, it's just such a logical leap for people to actually go into the mire of understanding this stupid thing that exists that dictates our lives. When, you know, I think about a relationship or an interaction I had with someone at a gas station a couple of months ago where I was just really high and I was just like, Hey, I can't figure out the money thing. Can you just tell me what to do? Um, like I was trying to tap my card. I was trying to do the thing. And she was just like, blah, blah, blah. And I said something like, um, yeah, money is the fucking devil, you know? And she said, I don't know who invented it, but they're the devil, you know? And <laughs> it was just like, people get it, that this is a stupid thing. It's unnecessary that we have to go through all these quirks and trips and you know, doodly da just so that we can exist. And it's really silly and stupid. And I think most people at their, at their heart, kind of get that this is the simplest way that the simplest solution not the complex solution of you know nanomachines and ai and collaborative design systems and all these things that come out of that intention of a moneyless society but you know we can go back to the um second episode of our show with the beautiful com unhoused community in echo park where they didn't have you know automation but they didn't use money they found out that okay when we pay people to do stuff they it fucks up, it, it jacks their motivation. It makes it so that they only want to do it because they're getting paid for it. You know, it's like, if you were thinking about how would you recreate the world? Desert Island scenario. Would you bring money with you? Would you bring fucking Fuck no. debt? Would you bring a pile of cash? No, you would absolutely would not. Or it would inevitably end up right back in the same scenario. Well, Elon Musk wants to do that with Mars, so don't, don't be so quick to say oh, that most people wouldn't. <laughs> he wants to recreate the exact same scenario. His version uh, of futurism is you have a 10 story building, make it a hundred stories. You know, you have a shopping <laughs> mall that's, you know, a, a half a mile long, make it a hundred miles long, you know, just fuck it. Keep it the going. Guy who reinvented the car. What do you expect? You know, he's a genius. He didn't well, even reinvent the car. He just reinvented, you know, Thomas the car Edison, industry, you know? Yeah. He reinvented the, the yeah. hustling bullshit artist that gets rich off of this crazy speculative woo woo that we call money, that we call the stock market, you know, whose mm -hmm. wealth quadrupled in a pandemic where everyone else in the world is losing everything. That's what money mm -hmm. gets us, you know? And I just think rather than just immediately diving into all the ins and outs of what, it, how it could work and, you know, how mm -hmm. we can do this and how we motivate people and all this stuff, I just, I really try to inspire people or encourage people to go into their own mind and ask those questions themselves and be fearless to actually imagine something, to like think about a really better world is there money there? Do you think like in the perfect world, do you go, when you go to get food, do you have to give somebody a, a token that you had to work hours of your life for? Fuck no, absolutely not. So yeah. Awesome. That's a money list. Before, side. before I give Amanda a chance, I just want to speak to the fact that like, I, I love that you pointed out how it's, it's really, it's clear that this system that we are currently, this monetary system that we live in is, it's not designed money, for money, people. Money, it's, money. it's very anti-human. It's very, it's there to, it's more to control us than it is to help us. And so I think that's something we'll definitely have to dive into. But Amanda, please, please tell me uh, uh, what, what a moneyless society means to you. 
Thank you, will do. Um, and, and I agree with you, obviously, it's very anti-life. Uh, and before I go into my answer, I just want to tag uh, on something that Marlo said in the very end there, um, you know, do you know, asking people to ask themselves to go deep inward and say, does is money necessary? Would I carry it forward with me into a new uh, era if I didn't have to, you know, so to speak? And it reminds me of a scene that I've seen I, uh, on on TV in a in a mini series, or not a mini series actually. I guess it's it's the what, what is it? The Walking Dead. I'm sorry, I'm grasping at straws here today. Long week. Um, <laughs> and uh, I don't watch a lot of TV, but every now and then I'll pop in and watch an episode or two of that show. And I thought that it, it was all too awesome, and it was certainly very gratifying to hear this in their dialogue, um, the main characters, uh, they, they woke up in some kind of community that had been built, uh, you know, out of the motivation to survive and fight the, the beasts, the beasts being the zombies, obviously. And uh, they woke up in this, in this community and they learned very quickly that they were going to have to earn their keep, that they had brought money with them into this community like the, the people that organized it they turned it right back into what the world was before like even after going through a zombie apocalypse people couldn't seem to let go of the notion that money is needed or exchange is needed or scarcity is needed or a hierarchy is needed it was mind-blowing but the thing that i really enjoyed the most was when the main characters had a a, a quick a quick exchange uh, basically saying Wow, I never thought that we would have to pay for uh, rent and food after the zombies came, you know, like, I can't believe we're having to do this again. Like, what the fuck? Um, <laughs> uh, but anyways, just to stay relevant uh, and to bullet down very much for me, a moneyless society is simply the opportunity for human uh, for humankind to to stop being stagnant and have that evolution that that some would argue is well overdue um, and move forward into an era tra uh, transition out of this society and this system that is obviously indoctrinating us to uh, build upon a destructive nature um, and transition instead to a society that inherently uh, motivates us and supports us and, and makes us capable of being more social creative and benevolent in our nature. Mm -hmm. uh, that's the thing that is the shining light for me when it comes to moneyless society, the fact that inherently in a moneyless world, in a I'm sorry, in a tradeless world, in a place where there's open access versus free, which is something I've been trying to point out a lot. Um, things aren't mm -hmm. free in a moneyless society. There's no contrast to free. There's no price to pay per se. So things mm -hmm. are just at your fingertips things are open access and in that kind of uh world and in that kind of environment we don't have social structures that are based on arbitrary standards that are based on based on classism sexism racism you know there, there's no reason in an environment like that to have these arbitrary um grudges against people and compete with people because there's no reason to compete. Things are just available. The things you need mm. to meet your basic needs uh, and the things that you want to enjoy to make your life fulfilling and to make you a valuable contributor to your society. So that's basically what Moneyless Society is for me. It's just that, that opportunity for us to finally evolve and realize our social benevolent and creative potential as a human being. Mm. Man, I love all of that. You all, you all touched on some wonderful points that I'm, I'm excited to dive into. But right off the bat, I think one thing that I've, I just keep hearing from each of you is just how this 
how this system is not really meant to actually help us and how and something that like I kind of think about often and each of you actually touched on a little bit is how it actually like inhibits us from collaborating in a lot of ways or it forces us to be more dependent on on the coinage than it is than we are dependent on each other um, even though we are still dependent on each other through the monetary system it's this weird like it's this weird game that's been created for us and so um and and one of the things that uh matt touched on when he was uh talking about what it meant to him is um kind of like moving on past trade or like like re reorienting the way that trade is used within you know an economy or just within a society within like our collaboration and and uh, i wanted to bring that up first because one of the first things i talk like when i'm talking to somebody about a moneyless society uh you know maybe i'll i'll get to them and i'll be like do you actually really think that money's good for us you know that it's you know everybody says it's the root of all evil we know that it's fucked up and it's like at the heart of so many issues and people are like yeah, but it's necessary because what else is there? There's just going to be some trade and barter system that we're going to regress to. So that's kind of my first big question for you guys is, is if we is during this transition to a moneyless society, how do we avoid um, maybe a feeling of regression towards just a trade and barter system that's essentially money, but with a little bit more complexity to it? Go ahead. Well, so you could read the uh, chapter in David Graeber's book, Debt, The Myth of Barter, and just really smash that to pieces. Barter is not something that money evolved out of. That's, you know, pure hocus pocus from Adam Smith and other people like that. It's part of the mythology of our economic doctrine. People's, people did not have those relationships. They did not have an earn your keep mentality for the majority of human history. And m money was introduced, uh, not in a friendly way, in a very colonial and violent way, as labor markets were smashed into people's lives. And they were basically forced to regress into barter after money was introduced. And there's not enough money. You, you get people in these relationships of, I'm out for myself. I mean, every time somebody is trading, not just money itself, but trade, I give you this, you give me that, we're done, that's it. We don't have relationships. You're reinforcing this um, sort of a ritual where you um, are con conditioning and continually reinforcing this notion that we are separate, that your needs and my needs do not converge. I have my life, you have yours. I have my needs, you have yours. You know, instead of seeing, okay, our needs are actually connected because we live in a community and a tribe, which is how people mm -hmm. lived for the majority of human history. So we did not have money for most of human history. We did not trade for most of human history and even people's that you know, lived in relative scarcity. Um, they, well, I mean, they, they sort of did, you could say that they did, you know, they lived in the abundance of nature, the nature provides for people, it provides abundantly. I mean, there's, there's indigenous peoples living in, you know, sub Saharan desert climates that eat 3000 calories a day, and work about 10 hours a day, you know, can you imagine that, that that's the majority of human history, we were not stupid, we were not bumbling around, you know, banging sticks into into caves you know we were very smart you know intelligent adaptive we had technologies and relationships with nature that uh newsflash did the work for us because that's what nature is it's a collaborative living thing so yeah the the barter myth is total horseshit and um i think i see a lot of people talking about like so, so somebody post on their facebook or something today hey you know who wants to get a few acres of land and then, you know, a trade with each other instead of, you know, using the corporation. And I think that's a, that's a regressive attitude. That's also like carrying forth this attitude of 
my needs are separate from your needs, you know, mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, the earth can't provide for us all we need. You know, you think about the, the shift from sort of a, a market, which is like people trading with each other to a network where you're circulating goods, you know, where things go where they're needed. There's not this, this like impetus for like, I gave you a bag of rice. You give me a chicken. That's fucking stupid. That's not how people who live next to each other, who were neighbors, live forever. You you live in a system of debt, you know, a good a good kind of debt, an, an indebtedness to each other, which reinforces continually. I need you. You need me. I may not need something from you right now, but I will because we're in this together. Nice. Yeah, Amanda. If I might piggyback off of what you were saying there in the beginning, Marlo, um, when you talk about uh, civilizations, um, you know, ancient civilizations, as we would refer to them, or civilizations that are non-Western, that don't have this perception that, that we are separate and our needs are separate, I think that speaks to the fact that money has dumbed down our emotional intelligence. And that is the thing that we're missing here in the Western uh, civilization, especially is just the empathy and sympathy that's needed to perceive that we are interconnected and that our needs aren't different. I mean, of course, they're not different. Look at traffic. Everyone's headed to the same thing to do the same thing so they can get the same thing. We all have to make money to pay our bills, to have a roof and to have food and take care of our families. We all need the same things. We're not you know, disconnected in any, any form or fashion as we would like to carry on. And uh, so if I were to respond to the, the question you proposed, I would say that, uh, you know, reciprocity-based systems are very much what is in need right now and, and what needs to be described in greater detail and pushed farther and harder into social and public um, discussions so that people begin to grasp what it is to leave trade in the rear view and strive to live in a truly communal setting where people do things because that's what makes sense. And that's what helps the society to survive and thrive, you know, and, and I, I'm sure Matt would agree. Reposity is uh, one, one of his um, favorite things about the male society. Am I right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And, and um, I, I talk about that in my book a bit too. And what, what I really define it as is um, it, like a trade-based uh, reciprocal system. So like trade-based reciprocity versus like um, systemic reciprocity. So where the entire system is really taking care of, of everyone and providing an you know, abundance of everything for everybody. And, and there's, and the trade isn't necessary anymore because the system itself, you know, with all of its workings and with, you know, society being able to, kind of be in direct control of the system at large, you know, as a society, then, you know, there's not really the need for trade anymore. People just pitch in voluntarily where they can, when they can. And, um, and essentially the system takes care of everybody in return, you know, and, and by that means you're incentivized to keep the system going because you know, if the system collapses, then everybody's fucked right and, and and so there's a lot of incentive and and there's even incentive to to keep it uh you know progressing as well because it's essentially the same motivator that progress that that motivates people right now it's positive reinforcement you know and but instead of positive reinforcement coming in the form of money which is just essentially the means to get everything that you need we just give you everything that you need instead right through this system of 
systemic reciprocity in the in the whole you know new economic system that we're trying to develop here, um, and and so that's just kind of the kind of the basis of it. There's no need for that. You know, I have to go over here and grow rice by myself. No, it's it's like you and maybe your entire community, you know, has an entire community garden that maybe I don't know half a dozen or a dozen people are pitching in to kind of keep going for everybody or more. You know, give give or take whatever agreements there are in your community. Oh, you know, a region or whatever, you know, it, it's up for it's up for discussion, really. And and all these systems can be maintained by, you know, people roles can be taken on and and delegated and whatnot. And, you know, that those are the types of systems that we're advocating, you know, trying to create locally within your community, within your workplace. And instead of some, you know, doing some unrelated job that doesn't really have much benefit to, you know, your life or your community, things like that, we advocate trying to get these systems in place as well by forming, you know, cooperative networks or businesses, you know, with these equal ownership models to where people are actually are cooperating and are producing things in their local community, you know, and when these things are equally owned, you know, when there's not some capitalist head at the at the head you know the entire thing reaping all the profits then people actually do start thinking more in terms of how can we share the benefit from this you know it's not it's not how can i just reap as much profit as possible and go home with as much as i possibly can you start really thinking more in terms of how can everybody in the community really benefit from these systems how can we develop them so they provide the most benefit with the least amount of input you know with the least amount of resources and labor and things like that and it's just the mindset of getting into that cooperation, you know, mode, essentially, to where people are working together. And you know that there's enough for everybody, right? But it's just kind of, it, it's the purpose. It's the, it's the leverage point, we would call it in systems thinking. You're giving the entire system a new purpose, essentially. You know, instead of uh, having the purpose of profit, you know, derived from this competitive model, we're having the purpose of abundance, right? And prosperity for everybody. We and and money essentially just exits stage left out of all that because we're really focusing on what we need and what we want at that point. And I think that rings true with a lot of people. You know, when they hear those concepts, they're like, you know, I think we really could do something like that if we put our minds to it. We just don't really have the environment or the right circumstances yet, but you never know. That's that's what we're trying to create here in, you know, in certain circumstances with networks of people who who actually do want to do these things and, and move forward on these types of, you know, communities and projects and whatnot, because we're definitely not the only ones. You know, there's there's more and more traction every day for these for these types of ideas. And um and it's and it's cool. We love we love hearing that and um we get a lot of positive feedback from from a lot of these things that we're talking about too. So I, I really feel like we're headed in the right direction with all that stuff. So That's awesome. I love that. I love the idea that we can just get on the same page and change the culture, change the mindset from like, let's stop trying to focus on just maximizing our own greed and our own needs or our well-being, if you can even do that under a capitalist system, um, instead changing it to, Let's maximize everybody's well-being because then that means I'm going to be included within that. And it's like just that mindset shift can help help people collaborate. And I love what Marla was saying where, you know, the monetary system and the trade system, we've allowed it to drive a wedge in between us and make us believe that our needs are separate, even though our needs are the same. And Marlo, you, you wanted to jump in there. Uh, feel free. I was just going to say that... Um... In thinking about something as fucking 
uh, obvious and simple as like a democratized workplace or democracy in general, which we very much do not have, you know, and I think the existence of a system where you are able to uh, use the amount of stuff you have to turn that into political power and agency and the ability to, you know, buy media outlets and change the narrative and, you know, control access to water supplies and reroute roads and all these things that having true capital allows you to do, you know, it is inherently anti-democratic. And I think that mm-hmm. it scares people to imagine what an actually participatory democratic system would look like. I hesitate to even use the word democracy because, you know, Netanyahu calls uh, Israel a democracy, which I don't think the people hmm. who were living there before you um, have a say in what's going on. People of Israel, you know, Israeli government. I don't think that's democracy. That doesn't sound like democracy. And representative democracy is not democracy. You know, it never was. It was, they were like conferences when America was being formed, the United States was being formed, and they were like very afraid that democracy would form, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's just, I just thinking about the objections that people have, like, oh, well, what if, what if a few people, uh, you know, were lazy and uh, took more than they needed? Or, Wait, you uh, mean capitalists? <laughs> yeah, that's what I was getting at. Great. Basically, a lot of our fears and objections are pure projections of what the existing system is doing. Mm-hmm. So I was talking to a friend about this, a friend I hadn't seen since like middle school or maybe high school. And I was explaining a lot of these things that a lot of his objections were, I just kept having to say like, zoom out, brother. You were talking about the existing system. You're saying, oh, what if technology was used for good? You know, oh, then it would become, it would go haywire and you know, we would become subservient to it. And uh, no, 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 you're talking about the existing system that already exists today to the uttermost extent. Mm-hmm. We're talking about a complete change in the programming and the purpose and the value system underlying all of these things. You know, so a lot of people's objections, they're just so in the box of their own system and they're so in the duality of propaganda. You know, really every person in America is, we're, we're some of the most propagandized people on the planet where we turn on our news every day and we see, you know, uh, the anti-democratic actions of Vladimir Putin invading other countries and stealing their sovereignty. And then, you know, you, you just don't see any mention of what the United States is doing, say, in Haiti. And how, which they've done, you know, like dozens of times over a hundred years, we have smashed the attempts at peoples in our vassal states that we use to extract resources that do not have a say in their own destiny. And when they rise up and try to demand it, as this nation was formed upon, uh, our media will call them a gangs. They, they, they'll call the people a gang and will say, we need to send American and Canadian troops to shut them down because there's this dissonance that we do not live in a democratic, free, participatory, equal society. And yet we live in this bubble of propaganda that constantly reinforces yes we do yes we do you're we're free you have it the best you're you you have the you live in the best nation in the world and you have so much opportunity and you know there's so many jobs out there you just got to go and take them you know we just live in this this swamp of bullshit that you know makes it so that people are terrified and in constant fear and loathing of their own system without understanding what it is and so they through the magic of propaganda those fears and hatreds and angers and fears and pains are projected onto the very people, the very movements and motions and policies and changes and other groups of people 
that are fighting for their interests, that they say the communists are coming or the socialists are coming or, or the anarchists. anarchy will, will break out, you know, <laughs> like anarchy will break out. Fuck. Yeah. That sounds great. A really yeah. nuanced, complicated. That's one of my favorite contrasts. Sign me up. Right? Mutual aid and reciprocity. Like, Please. Anarchy is surprisingly anarchy very soft and loving. And I just mm. love how Hollywood always portrays it as this, you know, burning chaos that's going to consume society and burn everything to the ground when it's actually something that's meant to be uh, robust and resilient. I'm sorry, I did not mean to interrupt, but you're just making so many good points and I, I want to like touch on some of them, but then you make another great point and I'm like, oh, but then you make another good point. So <laughs> just wanted to grasp that I just one. I want to say, you know, it's like you blow up one emperor. And then forevermore, you're the you're the blowing up the emperor people, you know, yeah, or prime exactly. minister or whatever, whoever it was. You shoot mm-hmm. one person and start World War One, and then it's the anarchists forever. They're to blame. Go ahead, Amanda. I just want to uh, jump in there and say, you know, because in the beginning of of this spiel and and throughout it, you made the point that people are afraid of what democracy could truly be, and, mm-hmm. and participatory uh, participa- participatory democracy. Um, And that's because obviously we have our belief systems and our ideologies uh, that polarize us and and make us believe that there's no way that we could unite on some kind of common ground that we could uh, actually, um, uh, you know, have a truly communal way of living. Uh, And so in a moneyless society, getting back to the very first question that that Nathan had for us, that's another thing that um, is like a, a beacon of light for me when it comes to to the whole concept of mindless society is the fact that we won't be so polarized and be grasping, uh, you know, these belief systems that inherently make us perceive each other as a competition or a threat. Uh, and, and in doing that, you inherently remove the fear that somebody could, you know, make a bad decision for everyone. And again, with projecting what our fears are, away from what we're actually living right now, that's exactly what's going on with our political system uh, and our corporate system is these people that are in place making the decisions that affect everyone are making the wrong decisions. Obviously, every decision they make is anti-life and it's for profit. And that's it's as simple as that. So once we have a participatory democracy in place, what we will also inherently have is the opportunity to educate and, and produce competent people who are skilled to make decisions about life and about community it makes the necessity for it i think that you know you all touched on so many different points um but i think the key thing to understand is the idea that you know we're the freest we think that we're the freest people in the world living in america but then the very structures the very system that we're forced to live in eight hours a day is um you know it's it's a master slave relationship tyrannical yeah it's Mm -hmm. tyrannical exactly um and it's insane how we think that or if we could just free the people free those each free each of those individual cells and get them to unleash their democratic power then it makes us unstoppable which is something that i've been seeing in my own uh job you know um as i've been kind of working with people and trying to make change i've i've seen that you know i'll talk to them and and we'll be talking about how we can make changes or this would be a great idea, you know, like we can change this process to improve this thing. And, and there are, but then at the end, they're like, we got to get approval from the top. But I always say, no, actually, if we're on the same page and and we all understand 
what we need. We're the ones that do the actual work every day. We understand the ins and outs of all of these processes and we know how to change it. So if we're on the same page, we come to them with a clear plan and we've already implemented it and we're asking for forgiveness, not permission, they have no choice but to concede. It's insane how many changes I've already made and and seen what we can do just by changing their ideas in that frame. One of the most key factors is, or what's kind of, I guess, inspiring to me, uh, the founder of my company, um, he gave me this book called uh, Start With Why by Simon Sinek. I don't know mm. if you've heard of it. I've heard that. I've heard of that book. So, yeah. 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 It's, it's, it's pretty good. Simple message. Um, you just with the title alone, you already know, start <laughs> with why, you know, mm-hmm. um, then the rest of the book is just him jerking off Apple and, uh, you know, saying how amazing they are or whatever. <laughs> but, uh, the, the core concept is wonderful. It's amazing because it really teaches us to rally around a why rally everyone you need to lead around what we need to do what we're doing. But in a business environment, they always want to shadow or cloak the why they don't want us to know the actual why of make profit. So they'll say, look, we're actually providing some sort of service or some sort of solution, right? We're providing this, this or that. And that's the true why. But in truth, if there's no profit being made, then it's all impossible. So that's something I'm really trying to get people to understand. And and if we can get people to understand about a moneyless society if with an of having like a new why and that why is to take care of each other, then it's going to happen. We're all going to be on the same page. We're all going to figure out how to take care of each other and we'll all have right. the same shared goal. Yeah, which is something I love. It's uh, and I'll move over to Sorry, you, Matt, ahead. but um, I just want to pose this question to you first. Um, something we were talking about is money's relationship to freedom and how we think we're free because of money, but something that I've, uh, you know, I was, I was talking to my father-in-law about moneyless society and he was kind of like, yeah, I get it. It might be valuable, but I, I don't really want to be dependent on the farmers in my area. And I, he's like, that's why I like money because it makes it so I can be self-reliant. Mm. And I was just, no, you're not self-reliant. In fact, you're still dependent on farmers. You're just dependent on it a new way. And money has like created this wedge between us and made us think that we don't need each other. So my question is, what is money's relationship to freedom? Does it actually make us more free or does it make us less free? Yeah. Um, well, to answer your question, I think it definitely makes us less free in general. I mean, the entire capitalist system, if you're, you know, if we talk about the system in general, we're kind of slaves to the system because everything has been commodified at this point, you know, and, and that's the problem is we can't really seek out the things that we need on a daily basis to survive without having money. And so we're kind of a slave to money in the sense that we need money to survive in the current system. Now, on the other hand, if you're talking about actually having money itself, then sure, money equals freedom, right? <laughs> you know, and so there, there's kind of two sides of the coin that you can look at it like that. So if you, I mean, if you're Elon Musk, you have one of the, you know, probably one of the most, uh, you know, freest people in the world simply because he can afford to do practically anything that he wants, right? Um, but on the other hand, you know, just the capitalist system itself, I find very restrictive, uh, you know, because it's tethered to the profit system. And that's why, you know, like you were saying earlier, I mean, it's not it's not like the, the Republicans or the Democrats and I, neither one can really 
implement the solutions that are necessary to solve our problems because the profit mechanism holds it all back. You know, it's doomed from the start because it's all beholden to corporate interests. And that's and that's the problem is the corporate interests are the ones who fund the campaigns. And, you know, even if they weren't the ones who would fund the campaigns, there would probably be some sort of other rules or regulations that they benefit from because that's essentially how the capitalist system works. And they rig it that way on purpose. It protects property rights and the rights of, you know, the wealth to essentially exploit, you know, the workers to make the wealthy even wealthier. And that's just essentially, you know, how the system works and how it's been set up over the course of hundreds of years. Um, another point that I wanted to make, too, with your, uh, like you were saying, with goals, uh, it's kind of interesting. It's it's not to say that, you know, there there is no goal of whatever product you are selling and offering. I mean, companies can have multiple goals and, and you know, they, they can have a goal of making a profit. They can also have a goal of, say, increasing public health. They can have a goal of, say, paying their workers well. They can have all these goals. But the problem is, as we run into this archetype and in systems thinking, this is something else I've described in the book a little bit. It's, it's an archetype called conflicting goals. And, and herein lies the rub because you a lot of the time these goals do conflict, right? What is often most sustainable is all, not often the most profitable, right? Take, you know, take a bus ride is often, you know, a bus ride on a green bus run by, you know, uh, renewable electricity would often be the most sustainable, but the most profitable thing is if everybody, you know, and their mother owned a, owned an SUV and drove a heck of a lot every single day, right? And these, you find this pattern where these goals are at odds with each other and since the companies are dependent on the profit system and, and nobody can survive essentially without some sort of income, the profit trumps the other goals essentially all the time if the company wants to survive. And that's that conflicting goals archetype is the profit ends up being more important than sustainability. It ends up being more important than paying the workers well. It ends up being more important than this or that or the other because without the profit, the company simply doesn't survive. And that's the unfortunate dynamic that creates these feedback loops of the profit just being more and more important. Whatever profitable ventures we have, they keep being developed and keep being developed and keep being developed while everything else just goes by the wayside and doesn't really get as much you know, time and attention or resources or investment because the profit motive simply doesn't reinforce that. And, and, that's that, and that's that archetype that keeps repeating and one of the many archetypes that keeps repeating in society that produces these very destructive feedback loops with the externalities that we're seeing today. And um, so I just wanted to touch on that. It's and, 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 and that's kind of a false dichotomy that I hear a lot with people saying, oh, you know, uh, it's, you know, this goal, this company just has the goal of making profit and they don't care at all about this. Well, a lot of the time, you know, that's not true. They do care. It's just not the, the our, our capitalist system has that conflicting goals archetype inherent to it. And it's very, I haven't seen a solution to it except eliminating currency and trade, you know, altogether and, and the you know, the system in its entirety, basically restructuring from the ground up. So just kind of wanted to throw that in there. Um, that's kind of what I've found through the lens of systems thinking. And um, yeah, that's about yeah, it. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Marlo, Marlo you, had, you had something I to was say. just going to say, you know, the, the epitome of that uh, contradiction lies in the so-called conscious capitalist or the green capitalist. Mm -hmm. And I think about a lot of people sharing the Patagonia CEO you know, donating his company to the planet, which really meant he just, you know, um, retained control of his company, you know, got a massive tax write off, 
and um, you know, got an, an enormous place. amount of free publicity for his billion dollar company. And so, you know, it really epitomizes the fact that if you really wanted to do what was best for the environment, you know, this system of endlessly expanding, growing, you know, even at some kind of steady state, which is what Patagonia has tried to be at, they've tried to not grow their profit, they've tried to, you know, keep it at the same place. Basically, you know, the value and the strength of the stocks that maintain these companies on the, you know, S&P 500 on this stock market, which is this crazy fucking techno algorithm monster god that we filter all decision making through in the least, you know, democratic manner that, you know, less than 10%, uh, less than, sorry, around 80, 90% of stocks are owned by less than 10% of the population. I mean, that, that speaks to the larger absurdity that 1% of the, of the planet can, you know, uh, controls 99% of its wealth. I mean, we've been saying these words for decades now, and people are still dancing around it, not even talking about the solution to inequality, which is equality. No one's talking about that. No one has, has even suggested that we could live in an equal system. But we have this problem of inequality that Bill Gates and all these people talk about. We need to address inequality. Just, just unpack the word, my friend. Take the in out of it. That's the solution to make people equal. And so, you know, these well-meaning capitalists who I genuinely believe mean well, I genuinely believe they actually do care, as Matt was saying, about the environment about workers, but they are so in the box of the rules of the game, the market game, that they have given it precedence over the real world, over the laws of physics, of science, of actual ecology, and they, you know, will blind themselves, you know, like this eclipse of their logic and reason to not see that this system depends on continual deforestation, exponential deforestation. It, can, it, it depends on exponential energy use, which currently is fossil fuels, you know, and there, there are not viable alternatives to continue growing the economy, even with all the renewables in the world. We cannot continue extracting and burning and, you know, pumping and chugging and fucking and, you know, spending and consuming at this rate that we are. We cannot do it. We will exhaust the earth no matter what. Even if we had cold nuclear fusion today. And limitless energy was flowing through us. We would just be powering the death machine of the economy whose mm -hmm. fundamental structural goal is to support those people who have the chips. I mean, it, it's, it's, very, it's very simple. It's very crazy. And I think that to sort of flip that over in this sort of thread of the things that people are afraid of are the world we live in today. You know, oh, what if AI and artificial intelligence was controlling everything and it was you know, rapidly destroying life on earth and making people crazy on purpose to get them clicking more so that they can, you know, uh, spell, you know, be more effectively targeted with ads. And, you know, what if, what if, um, you know, artificial intelligences were deciding the fates of elections and, you know, deciding where all our resources go and, you know, keeping people in slavery and destroying the world and ever that's what's happening now. And, you know, in thinking about solutions, we, we have to use the tools of this destructive force, the tools and the technologies that for better or worse, regardless of, of you know, people will say that tech capitalism created all this technology. Well, I will say human beings did that. Collaboration and creativity and inspiration, which has always been and always will. And the serial process of human beings stacking ideas on top of each other. You know, Steve Jobs did not invent the iPhone. He 
he did not invent because if he invented the iPhone, he would have to invent the personal computer, which he would have to invent DARPAnet. He would have to invent the light bulb. He would have to invent the circuit. He would have to invented all of these other things that were gifted to him that we inherited the information, the knowledge, the technology, the science of the generation before us. And that's what we're standing upon. And so in conceiving of a moneyless society, it is very far, a far cry in my appraisal, although it can be scaled in many different ways and forms and levels of sophistication and simplicity and technology, is that we can use you know, the technology of learning machines and you know, better calculations of computing and processing and dispersed open source feedback systems that are run by the people saying, here's the supply, here's the demand, you know, creating a much more sophisticated technological system that is not hindered by <laughs> this 16th century at the youngest system. Or, yeah, it's like we, we, have, we have been living in this cultural lag and this you know, brutally pr primitive mercantile system of trading and bartering of people slapping fish on a piece of newspaper and giving someone a coin for it. Like that is the extrapolation of our whole system. Only we have AI and nuclear, you know, technology and nanomachines who are running that process. And so in the interest of shifting toward how do we create something new, well, we use the technology that we have, Doofus, and we use it for good. We change the program. <laughs> we change our social media networks from being privately run uh, psyops operations giving us all mental illness and driving teenage girls to kill themselves and toppling third world foreign governments and we use that social technology that allows us to communicate with each other that's getting trillions and of tr trillions and trillions and trillions of bits of data of feedback and information on the you know availabilities and the supply and the demand and the feedback and the human health and the happiness and all these metrics that we can measure objectively, you know, just through people saying, I'm feeling like this. Hey, my name's Marlo. I'm fucking depressed because I live in a world where everything costs money. You know, like that's feedback, that's data that can be coalesced into a process of actually economizing the scarce resources in the world, the things that really are scarce because we don't live in infinite abundance. But if we live in a system that is based upon actual need, that is simplifying these processes as much as we can, that is optimized continually for the betterment of the, of the whole, the individual is going to benefit ultimately more than they would in this current system. Elon Musk is still a slave. He works fucking 80 hours a week. You gonna tell me that guy's free? He's just like a slubby, like goblin looking, out of shape, unhealthy. Like Donald Trump would eat... Uh, Oh God, I'm just, I'm vomiting thinking about this. He would get his uh, staff with his infinite resources to go get him a, a, a fucking cheese pizza from Pizza Hut and he would peel the cheese off and just eat that with no, with a Diet Coke, you know? Like that's a slave. That person is enslaved to their own game, to their own logic, to their own quality of life that is just absolutely shattered by their addiction to this gambling casino reality. Hmm. Yeah, you know, there's a lot. There's a big point that you made in there about how the the people that we think are the most free are the most benefited from the system are also subject to the rules of the game, and you know, too many people think that the the game or the rules or the system and the structures are just some neutral force, and that it's just like human will that creates good or bad within those systems. Um, but it's insane how they don't even realize that they're totally subject to the rules of the game and that 
those rules can affect like what's good and bad. But if we can collectively, you know, decide and or awaken to that and say, hey, if we're going to be subject to the rules of a system, let's all be on the same page about it. And let's at least say like, hey, maybe the things we want to be subject to is taking care of each other. Because I know that if everyone's taken care of, I'll be taken care of too. It's these weird little like mindset shifts. It, it seems so little, at least to me, this like flip switch of hatred or kindness, you know? Um, maybe it's hard and difficult to make in the moment, but over time, it's really going to be a simple mindset shift that revolutionizes everything. I love hearing that, or I love hearing you guys talk about how we've got to work within the system as it is to create something new. Because um, that brings me to my next question, which is, you know, when I talk to people about uh, building a moneyless society, they're always like, um, what are you going to do? Cut off the heads of all the capitalists or something like that? Look how that worked out in France or whatever, you know? Um, I, I think that, I think that, you know, we have to build something new within this system, within the old system, but we also have to create an alternative so that the old system can crumble. But I'm curious about what you think, you know, do you guys think, do you guys foresee a need to tear down the monetary structure or do you think it'll erode itself um, once we build a new alternative? Amanda, let's uh, start with you. Um, let's see here. That's a great question. And obviously, there's a lot of um, very elevated opinions about that, very emotionally charged opinions um, that come from a lot of different walks of life and isms. You know, you have your communisms, your anarchists. Mm -hmm. um, you know, your socialist and whatnot. And um, aside from the anarchists, the, the communists and the socialists would say, you know, we can just work with what we've got here and just tweak it a little and it'll, and it'll be great. It'll be enough. Um, mm -hmm. As Jacques Fresco would say, that doesn't go far enough. Uh, we've definitely got to completely do away with the system that we're dealing with now. That's why it's called systems change. That's why it's called systems thinking. You create a system that obsoletes the old one, as Matt would say, and has written, I'm sure. Um, and, and that's actually how I came to know that, that terminology, um, the whole concept of obsoleting money and going forward and building a system that doesn't utilize it at all whatsoever. So, I mean, short answer, yes, we've, we've got to do away with what we're dealing with now, like completely, but do we have to like destructively burn it to the ground in order to move forward? I feel like is part of that question or at least implied. And that's where a lot of different opinions come into play. Uh, you know, we have the incremental change uh, that that's taking place now um, where people are starting to get on the bandwagon of the concept of that we can live without these um, without these paywalls and, and uh, certain systems that we're dealing with. Um, but that doesn't seem to be making change quick enough in order for us to avoid uh, ecological and economical collapse. So then you have the opinion that we should just, you know, whoever can just take hold and make it happen. But then, of course, that completely defies the whole point of helping people to realize these things for themselves if they just take what we say for granted and say okay they have the answers let's just follow them and do what they say to do then they're still not getting it they're and and you know and and that's how we would end up regressing and failing because the people did not learn for themselves from um an inner or on an interpersonal level that the way forward is to you know, say, okay, we, we've got to be a community, we've got to be a global community, and we've got to do things differently, and we've got to do things regeneratively, and we've got to do things rationally, so we can move forward. Uh, but if I could just back up a little bit really quickly and point out something I think is very important to highlight when it comes to does money equal freedom? And Matt was talking to how profit is so revered. 
And if you take that and turn the scope around a little and look at it through a laborer's perspective, um, the working class perspective, obviously income is what is revered. And it just speaks to how basically our freedom of movement is directly tied to our income, obviously our purchasing power and whatnot. And that's why obviously so many people equate uh, freedom to their income or to money itself. But obviously at the root, money is a restrictive mechanism or we wouldn't need it to get the things that we want and go the places we want to go and have the experiences that we strive to have. So I just want to throw mm-hmm. that in there really quick. Yeah, I love that. I mean, that's a, that's a really good point. I I think it is an interesting like uh, distinction that has to be made like when when we say that money is freedom because uh, it was just like Matt was saying like yeah, maybe Elon Musk is more free than a worker, um but it it, it that profit versus income is is an important distinction. Um Sorry, Matt. Were you were you going to say something? Um, no, I, I could I could definitely uh, uh, talk about your question though. Can you can you just say what the question was one more time? You're basically talking about yeah, trans transitioning yeah, essentially. Yeah, and I guess the 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 I, eat I the like rich. to <laughs> yeah eat the rich. That's it. <laughs> I like to make dichotomies a lot of the time. I'm always like, is it this or this? Sure, you know, sure. It's often both. But like the main question is like will we have to destroy the monetary structure right. or will it destroy itself once we build a new alternative? Right. Right. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think, I think it'll kind of end up more, more or less uh, imploding on itself eventually, but it needs to kind of be a controlled thing also and, and kind of planned in the process because if we just kind of let it happen haphazardly, then it's probably going to be pretty messy and it'll probably piss a lot of people off and it'll probably kind of turn out to be an ugly thing. So the more, the more open and democratic you can be and plan and, you know, actually having planning and contingencies for things and whatnot, you know, and uh, backup plans, the more things like that, you know, you can try to take into account the better, the better transition it'll be. Um, What I outline in my book is kind of, you know, just, trying to get a network of cooperatives together, essentially. So each cooperative would kind of uh, end up handling different aspects of daily life. Like one cooperative might end up handling transportation, another one for agriculture, another for housing, another for, uh, you know, like clothing and things like that. And eventually, once there's enough cooperative businesses kind of working together, you can start providing the members of those cooperatives with universal basic goods and services, right? And that would stand in direct opposition to like universal basic income. I'm sure a lot of us have heard of the term universal basic income, like through Andrew Yang and, you know, the whole last presidential election, all that. The idea was kind of starting to get thrown around a lot. Um, But we're just like, well, you know, we don't need the currency. Let's just start giving people directly what we need, like we were saying earlier. And um, it would kind of it would be a transitional thing at first, you know, throughout these cooperatives, people would still be earning salaries and, you know, getting an income and things like that. But in the long run, the goal is to phase out. Oops, sorry, I hit my mic here. The goal is to kind of phase out. Uh, you know, incomes essentially to where you're paying people and and they have to buy everything they need to phase out that maybe, you know, certain things one at a time or whatever. And then to phase in, you know, giving people things for free to where they just essentially don't need that income anymore. And, you know, how exactly that would work is like, like a lot of other things we've been saying kind of up for debate and discussion, but that's kind of the general idea, you know, to, to have one system phase out while the other phases in. And at a certain point, we'd really want to have a lot of this kind of figured out before, 
you know, the, the old capitalist system kind of implodes in itself or collapses, you know, because there's probably a certain point where that system isn't really going to have the activity or the growth that's necessary to keep sustaining it. And that it may collapse, you know, I mean, these are these are tricky economic complex situations that we're talking about in the future that we don't even know, you know, we're all this is all speculation, right. And so essentially that could happen at some point. And, you know, the, my train of thought is, is it's best to f try to figure out as much of this beforehand and put as many of these systems in place beforehand that could handle, you know, an economic collapse of some sort, or at least an e economic collapse of the capitalist system, you know, so, so we could kind of quickly transition a bunch of people over from the capitalist system to a moneyless society without there being, you know, a lot of heartache and bloodshed or, you know, and unnecessary violence or even things like that. You know, we want it to be really a voluntary thing, too, that we present ideas and you're like, hey, you could try this. <laughs> you know, there's people over here and it's working great. Check these out. Check out how happy everyone is and everyone's thriving. You know, you want to come over for dinner, please. <laughs> you know, and, and, and so we're trying to create these communities and show people, you know, hey, man, this this stuff really can work. If you're open-minded, whatever you call it, whether it's socialism or communism or moneyless society or resource-based economy, trying to kind of get over all the isms and exactly what it is or isn't, but really just kind of focus on the outcomes of the things that we want to happen. You know, we want you know, systems that deliver abundance through technology and sustainability and cooperation. And we could write, you know, dissertations on exactly what to call each of these little individual experiments and, and everything like that. But it's not necessarily so important, the name, what's important is what they do and, the, and their mm -hmm. outcomes. And, and, mm -hmm. And also just, you know, the opinions of everybody involved, whether people are actually happy with these things or not, you know, and that's and that's kind of really the goal is to make something that people are happier with, mm. you know, and then people will voluntarily come over. So I think I'm kind of starting to repeat myself now on that whole thing. So. I'll go it ahead sounds and like you're talking over. about getting people to come over to the dark side. Yeah. <laughs> yes. We'll make the thing that people want, and they will That's come a, over to the dark side right. for it. Resistance is futile. <laughs> yeah, I'm, a, I'm actually uh, advocating a system I call double capitalism. Nice. It's capitalism, but there's no money. It's not competitive. There's no hierarchy. Ooh. Um, everyone can. The price. There's still prices on everything, but it's all zero. The wages are also zero. Mm. There we go. Nice. Um, <laughs> Just make it look yeah, familiar. It's, it's not based on on extraction. There's no growth. <laughs> right. Uh, it sounds steady state system. It sounds realistic. Um, it's still capitalism though. Okay. It's still capitalism. Yeah, it's still a free enough. market. <laughs> Everyone's an entrepreneur. Everyone. Um, That's right. <laughs> it's, it's basically everyone is a boss. It sounds yeah. like when bitch. the Catholicism tried to convert all the pagans, <laughs> you can still yeah we're capitalists now do yeah. these things and you know dance around the fires and stuff, but you have to do it on this day and you have to do it in the name of this person versus whatever that guy was, you know. Capitalism, we're capitalists. Yeah. No, I think that uh, the existing system is going to collapse and is collapsing right now and has been collapsing for four hundred years for all peoples at the margins because it is an explosive thing, like a rocket engine that burns everybody beneath it that is lifting it up to get it up into the, into the air. Uh, and I think that there will have to be conflict, obviously. And I think that only the people can decide that. Only the people can handle that. And I look to the intelligence of the aggregate, of the crowd, of 
dispersed and, and decentralized revolts and movements that have happened all throughout history uh, spontaneously without some vanguard you know telling them what to do coming in and trying to steer them in this direction i think that people need to know where to go they need to know what the real problems are and what their real enemies are they need to understand how the world works in a very structural way climate activists throwing soup cans at paintings need to understand that you cannot just get off fossil fuels or you will collapse the existing system and that the real problem here is not just fossil fuels it's that fossil fuels are driving a consumer cycle and an inane metric of GDP gross domestic product which is a measure of death it's a measure of ecocide and so I think that we will have to stop the burning of the Amazon. We will have to stop the, the explosion of bunker fuel that's shooting, uh, you know, freight loads of toys across the ocean or fucking porno DVDs, you know, made in China, you know, whatever it is, whatever stupid thing it is, it could be, you know, all the luxuries and the non-essential goods and those little those little toys you see at uh, Mexican restaurants and the little machine where you put the coin in there, that's being made out of oil with ex explosive high heat and metal and steel and extraction. And, you know, all of this has to stop because of the damage we are doing to the environment is already cooking the planet. And, you know, I, I talk to people who say that the emissions we're dealing with, the warming we're dealing with, that has sunken whole countries today, not tomorrow. Not in some dystopian future. We're in a dystopian present. I read today that 30-something counties out of 30-something counties in, I believe, Nigeria are underwater. The country of Pakistan is still underwater. There have been no recompense made. That's happening today, and it will happen here. It will happen everywhere. We will see cascading true system failures. Not our little fun money system failing and a bunch of humans running around with their heads on fire, we're going to see real systems failure of the ecosystems of our planet collapsing, of the web of life coming apart and fraying and ceasing to produce. Not produce bullshit, Xboxes, hot dogs, whatever it is, but to produce life. Trees stopping producing oxygen. You know, the oceans warming, acidifying, cooking crabs in their shells. That's happening right now. And if we don't stop that process... Um, we don't, we don't have a future. And so I think ultimately questions about how and when and why, and do we, you know, bust out the guillotine and flip the tables over. I think those conversations are ultimately futile and wasteful and, uh, woefully naive. There are, a lot of them are based upon wish fulfillment. I have been in the revolutionary and the activist spheres and the political spheres for better part of a decade now. And I've interacted with all the factions and all the people and I've read all the theories and I've, I've read a lot of the books and the, and the schools and danced with the isms. And I find a lot of people are simply hurt and, and are not connected to solutions. They're not connected to what the world on the other side of that could look like and must look like. They're not really adapting and responding to the needs of the planet. You know, your duality of do we do this or do we do this? Right now, we are reacting to everything that's happening. We are reacting in a, a way where people do not have free will. I don't believe they have free will. I think it's very rare to see a free choice made. 
because people have been conditioned from birth and given a set of triggers like controls in a video game that uh, stimuli in their world around them and sympathetic reactions in people around them and advertisements and all these things trigger in them. And it sends us into these sort of traumatic loops of behavioral scripts where we're reciting lines, you know, and just basically going through the motions. We're reacting to everything. Everything is a reaction of a reaction of a reaction of a reaction. There's very few responses and we have to be that response. And I think to be, as Martin Luther King said, the, to, to tap into the creative maladjustment of a non-conforming minority is to create something that uh, gives people a platform to actually think clearly and actually prefigure and imagine and connect with what an alternative system is. We have to get people out of this existing system so we can actually think and talk about this on a large scale because three people on a fucking Zoom call cannot plot the revolution, cannot say what? for sure what's going to happen and how it needs to go down. And I wouldn't trust any three people in any you know, uh, screen to do that. Damn, I was really Only counting people. on you guys. <laughs> Hate to burst your bubble, but we don't have all the answers. Everyone has the answers, though, and collectively we can put them together, you know, put all those pieces together and move forward and make it happen. Yeah, I love that. And, you know, I, I appreciate you kind of calling out the, the futility of, of these, like, well, is it this or that? Which one do we do? Because, um, you know, that's something I've I've been very mired in and, and kind of struggling with. But And I, I found that, and now that you bring it up, I... I found that really the only way that those questions begin being useful is if we meet people where they're at with a level of understanding to see like what kind of reactions are they subject to on a daily basis? What kind of, um, what kind of situations are they just trapped in that we need to be able to understand in order to like love them and to collaborate with them and move forward? Um, because, you know, I, I could just, I mean, I posed the question to people kind of all the time. It was like, oh, well, do you think we should all have to change individually first? Do you think we need to do systems change? And, and you're right, there is a futility there because at the end of the day, they could say, well, I think it's this and then nothing happens because they're still trapped in both regardless. Uh, Amanda, you're going to say something. I was just going to say, um, when you're talking about meeting people where they're at, uh, because this episode is going to air to your audience, the Kindness Rebellion audience, and mm. and they may or may not be very well acquainted with certain post-scarcity terms and uh, this moneyless society concept, obviously. Um, mm. I'll repeat myself here because I've mentioned this in previous episodes uh, several times. The term technical communication, which was derived from um, the teachings of Jacques Fresco and the Venus Project. Uh, and an example in which it would be useful would be to apply it to what Marlo was describing and how we have got to stop, uh, you know, a deforestation. We've got to stop the things that are flooding countries. Um, and we have to basically slow down our rate of consumption in order to do that. And what that is in essence is degrowth but that threatens people's belief systems and causes emotional reactions that are nearly impossible to mitigate because like we were saying earlier how our freedom is directly linked to our choices and our choices in this system are directly linked to consumption so that's a bit of a rabbit hole but when you're talking about meeting people where they're at it's uh it's definitely a challenge to introduce these new concepts and talk to people about our options uh, as far as, uh, you know, uh, making sure we don't uh, die and that everything doesn't collapse because people are just so fervently and emotionally tied 
to the conditioning and subsequent triggers, as Marlo mentioned, um, mm -hmm. that they think that the world cannot be any different. And if we try to make it different, it's going to make it worse. But yeah, I just wanted to throw that out there. Yeah, that's a that's a difficult thing that I've been running into a lot. It's it, there's just like, well, if you try to well, you know, and that's the frustrating thing about having this kind of revolutionary mindset anyways, right, is as soon as we start talking to people about like, we can change the world, we can do it. They're like, well, let me bring up all the potential problems that could happen as mm -hmm. if like, that's the and then you know, and then they're like, Oh, you don't have the coffin. answers to all those potential problems, mm -hmm. then what you're doing is fallible. And you should just hang it up and get back to work. You know, yeah, exactly. That, that's useless. Sorry. Yeah. Which is frustrating because obviously we, we're we're more of a mindset of like we can do better. That's it. Like we can do better. It's not going to be perfect, but we can do better. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And that's and that's something that you know I think people can get on the same page on as long as as you know we as the people that are trying to you know create this change are willing to come to them and 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 interact with them in a way that's like I understand the fear you have. I understand the way you're feeling and I understand the situations you're subject to. And I think that like the only way to, to heal those is together. That's the only way to do it. Um, one thing that you, uh, both Marlo and Amanda brought up is, is the need for uh, a, a massive reduction in consumption and the, uh, the emotional reaction that comes as a result of it. That's, I feel like that's one of the hard, the biggest problems. And I don't know if that's something that's simply going to, you know, as like, as we start building more resilient communities, we'll just see like, oh, there's no need for Wendy's or McDonald's. Those collapse on their own. So we don't have to try and convince people to stop eating it or to reduce their consumption. But, you know, at the end of the day, like we, there are a lot of things that we just have to stop doing. And I think that's something that I've really struggled to, to work with people on is like, like we just got to stop doing this. We got to stop doing that. We got to start doing this. I'm kind of curious how, how each of you tend to go about those, those kind of transitions and those kind of conversations, um, you know, in your own lives. Yeah, man. I keep being start. eager because I'm having one of those days where I'll forget what I'm thinking. So thank you for letting me be uh, borderline disruptive. Um, one of the things I like to do when people meet me with pushback, as I am describing what it could be like in a society where we don't have to say depend on fast food restaurants, I like to try and walk them through uh, a day and what an alternate world or society might look like. And so obviously people will be like, well, I like my Chick-fil-A. Don't take my Chick-fil-A. You know, Chick-fil-A is live, Chick-fil-A is bay or whatever. And um I'm like, but what if you didn't have to work 10 hours tomorrow and rely on somebody getting paid uh, less than a living wage to hand you your lunch out a window and never see that person again or care about that person or know where that food come from or or care whether or not it's healthy for you? Like, yeah, Chick-fil-A is great or whatever, but like you could have a chicken meal at home if you want, if you're not working your life away, you know? Well, um, you how how... Yeah, go ahead. You could also have a fully automated restaurant that can produce many different kinds of food exactly. based on the available foods that mm -hmm. you have in your region with the, a vertical garden on the rooftop and uh, you know a, a food algorithm that is connected to the available nutrients and or sorry ingredients and things that, that are being produced in your local area. You could bring in your own food and, and you know with a little bit of you know creative finagling and technical development and applying these problem solving technologies to the actual problems of our time, you know, we could get to the point where a restaurant is fully automated, 
you can even bring in your own ingredients and say, hey, cook me this. You could give it a video of you cooking your own food the exactly the way that you like it. It could cook you your fucking grandmother's spaghetti the way you <laughs> like it, you know. Yeah. And it, it could it could have algorithms that automatically say, oh, okay, we don't have uh, arabiata, uh, whatever, peppers. You know, we have this thing that can immediately substitute it. You know, we can just create a much better, more efficient system of doing all these things that a moneyless society doesn't just necessarily mean you know, uh, you all live in a community and everything that happens off of that community is, you know, uh, the, the old world. I mean, when we tap into our imagination and start to actually think, okay, what would a world, a degrowth world, a world where we're consuming less bullshit, and we're actually free to think and educate ourselves and we're using automation as much as we can, you know, in the much more simplified formula, formulations than in the current system. With these extremely um, inefficient, resource-intensive, wasteful um, supply chains, where we're using this technology on a local basis to create a better system, and just a better system. It's not. It's like we will consume less resources in ways that I think will be largely invisible to most people, because you would be able to access, you know, the same amount or even more food, because you know, okay, we are living in a, in a local region producing an, uh, food which goes bad eventually so it has to be eaten and so you know grocery stores today waste half of their food just because somebody can't pay for it and they put locks on their dumpsters and sometimes they have security guards so that people who don't have houses who can't access housing even though there's an abundance of housing already you know inefficient poorly designed housing but whatever um can't can't access that and so we are living in a system that if we needed to transition rapidly we could even use the existing bad infrastructure to produce an abundance of things to get people through the bottleneck of redesigning all of these apparatuses of the of meeting our needs. And you know, we could have very fast, efficient public transit works better than the existing system. Take all those cars and recycle all that metal and all that energy and all that you know fuel and and all that shit house infrastructure. It's just terrible, terrible design of our society that just drains us of so much time our greatest resource, time, energy, you know, brain power, education. So degrow, degrowth means all the bullshit jobs, cut them. Everything that's not necessary for the meeting of our actual needs, cut it. Everything that we can automate, automate it. Everything that we can just completely reduce or eliminate, get rid of it. You know, consolidate our transportation system into something that works. Reduce the amount of track you know going back and forth through our inefficient infrastructure anyway that people need to do give people the time and the energy and the access to the resources to educate themselves to do whatever they want to do to actually benefit society and this will precipitate a massive leap forward in innovation and a massive leap forward in the amount of care the amount of time that we have to spend with each other to re to think about all this stuff that's mm -hmm. what a degrowth world means it doesn't just mean you keep living your shitty life that sucks anyway and your cheeseburger gets cut in half that's a Amen. really childish stupid thing and i want to push back real quick on that because uh these maga communist dickheads are um that's a thing sorry it, I, it's I, such I, a contradictory in terms out there um but there's yeah, there's a bunch of people that. out there that are basically like national socialists I wonder if there's a, a portmanteau of that word that uh you know caused a lot of historical drama <laughs> nazis um, but yeah, there, there are these Nazis that are, um, basically saying we need to do all this stuff for the working class and they're saying they're communists, but they're nationalists and they're against immigration. They're really stupid people. But the really dangerous thing that they're doing is 
waging war on environmentalism and on degrowth in general. And what they're doing is basically just giving these these words that the right wing don't know about yet. And they're, they're you're going to see Fox News talk about degrowth soon. You're going to see them talk about this as this thing that they're going to, you know, cut your cheeseburgers in half and you're, they're going to make you drive a Fiat and, you know, all this really stupid, you know, uh, just manipulations of what the reality of a de of a world that is not continually running on a treadmill is going to look like. Whereas in mm -hmm. reality, it's a world where we get to just sit back and rest and think about what we did and think that's about what we have to do better. It. When you say treadmill, and that's, that's essentially what I try to walk people through is the concept mm -hmm. that what if you didn't need to access this thing because you're doing this thing instead. And of course they're like, well, how can that thing be possible? Then you go deeper into the rabbit hole. Like with the example mm -hmm. of you didn't have to work 10 hours tomorrow, would you need to stop at a fast food place for your lunch and, and, and uh, have a part in that exploitation? And then of course the next question is, well, how can't I work 10 hours tomorrow? I have bills to pay. Well, what if, you know, housing being, it is a human right to have shelter didn't have a paywall in front of it. What if you didn't have to pay rent or a mortgage, you know? And then their mind just starts, you can see the, they, they either completely disassociate or or a light comes on and you can see it in their eyes. And they're like, tell me more. What if I didn't have to work tomorrow and exploit people in order to do it and be exploited in order to survive, you know? And, mm -hmm. and so anyway, that's my strategy and answer to that question is you just, you've got to meet people where they're at, like you were saying, and you've got to take it step by step with them. What yeah. if? And if this, then that kind of yeah. thing. And and like, and I'll actually, and I love that you say that. And I, I'm, I might actually challenge you there, Marlo, because I think the, the, the idea that it's like, oh, this, like, the, these are bullshit systems that exist right now. And they're, they're destructive and they're dangerous. As soon as you bring that up, they're on the defense, you know, they, they armor up and, and they're incapable of understanding us and, and understanding what we're trying to do. Cause and and I guess that's the that's the hurdle I'm trying to understand how I how I get past because I do totally believe I'm like all of this is bullshit. Car culture is so bad for us. So it's bad. annihilating the environment. It's making life a living hell. But when I start with that, they just immediately are like you're crazy. I can't listen to you right now. I can't. I can't. I can't even like fathom this. And so just the trying to tell them like this is all bullshit this is all fucking insane we need to stop without actually saying that right <laughs> like, I'm, I'm, and uh and you know we haven't heard from matt i'm curious to 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 hear what you think about about that strategy yeah i mean coming as a person who's had a long sales background um you know mm -hmm. it's kind of uh it's it's interesting because people have two main motivators right um one is pain and the other is pleasure and and uh, you can you can play on both of those and it really kind of depends on the person i mean you know from from a person that's from a perspective as, of a salesman it's 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 about talking to the people and developing a relationship first and foremost and understanding what is important to people right and, and getting to know people really is essentially getting to know what it is they want their values their goals you know developing a relationship with them and then kind of like you said, kind of trying to come at them on their level as well. You know, OK, well, if this is important to you, you know, I mean, if your if your children's futures are important to you, then I mean, what if this whole climate change thing isn't a hoax? What if, you know, what if there actually might be a good amount of civil unrest in the future and you sat back and you didn't do anything about it? How would you feel about that? 
you know, or, or, you know, if they're, if they're, uh, you know, trying, I mean, that's kind of coming at it from the pain standpoint, or you could come at it from the pleasure standpoint also. Well, you know, you want your children to have the best sort of future possible. What, you know, what if, what if we could provide your children with, you know, free unlimited abundance of healthy, nutritious food in your community. And we could do this, you know, just by, you know, you and your neighbors cooperating together. Is that something that you'd be interested in? And a lot of the time, I think these concepts are easy to easier to digest in bite-sized chunks, you know, like people know that there are more sustainable systems, but they haven't really wrapped their head around combining all these things to kind of create a, an, an emergent system that is greater than the sum of all of its parts, you know? And so a lot of the time it kind of takes piecing these things together. They're like, oh, you know, you could do that. Or yeah, and this system doesn't really work as well. And, and oh yeah, that's a good point. I wouldn't want to see that happen, you know? And then, and, and, and it's a lot of the time, it's something that you kind of bite off in small chunks. It's a conversation that happens over time, over multiple instances, and that relationship develops and it grows over time. It's something that usually does not happen overnight. I mean, or in one conversation, it's something that's it's something that's developed over time. It's an understanding that's nurtured and built upon because it's a very complex subject with with dynamic moving pieces, too, that, you know, and they're listening. A lot of these people are listening to conservative news sources and things at the same time that directly, you know, chip away at some of these points that we're making. We kind of have to go back and counter some of that at times, too. We're like, well, OK, they said that. But what about this? You know, and things like that. And so it's a conversation that kind of happens over time. And, and our understanding deepens, you know, and, and and, uh, is greater over time as well. We're, you know, we don't, like we said, we don't have it all figured out, you know, and, and, and I, I like to really kind of foster that open conversation aspect of the whole thing. And I, and I think that's, that's one of the aspects of why a lot of people really kind of like what we're doing a lot more than a lot of other organizations is because we're kind of willing to admit that we really don't have it all figured out and we'd like to talk about it. <laughs> what do you think about this? What do you think about this idea? You know, oh, this kind of did work over here, but oh, you have something to say about that too? Let's hear it, you know? And, um, and I think a lot of people are open to that just kind of discussion, you know, oriented mindset. Well, you know, it might work, it might not work, but let's talk about it and let's dive into the facts, you know, and, and then we'll make our, you know, opinions and decisions from there. And, um, and that's the, the personal mindset that I try to have about all of it as well as a, as a mindset of just kind of curiosity and discovery, as well as not really holding on to these ideas, you know, with, you know, a, a clenched fist and being like, oh, this is the way it has to be, you know, over, over the years, my, 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 you know, fondness of the, uh, these ideas has only deepened, but that's only because, you know, I've discovered more and more that's kind of reinforced these ideas, you know, for me. And, and a lot of the time when people do kind of have rebuttals and things, I do my research. I'm like, well, that's a good point. You know, maybe there is something to that and I'll investigate that and I'll get back with you. And, you know, a lot of the time I've done that, here's what I found. We come back and we have these discussions, these conversations. Sometimes I'm like, you know what, you're right. That's a great point. And I don't have anything to combat. Other times I'm like, well, there's this and this, you know, so. So like I said, it's a lot of, it's a discussion. It's an evolving thing. A lot of the time, it's really difficult just to say like, here's everything, you know, hope you change your mind because <laughs> this is, this is all I got, you know, which is kind of one of the reasons why I wrote a book too. I mean, there's 200, nearly 250 pages of all this stuff. It's tried, tried going over all that in one conversation, you know, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's like, it's something that happens piece by piece over time, you know? And, but anyway, so that's, that's kind of what I've discovered over the years and, and, one of the methods that I've kind of really found to be most effective in portraying these ideas is bite-sized pieces, mm -hmm. you know?
Yeah, I love that. It's about planting a seed so, and, and mm-hmm. developing that. Yeah, Marlo, go on. Re- a little bit of research for you. The average American spends 18 days driving per year with an average of eight hours and 22 hour minutes per week. So ask mm. your friends, what would they do with almost an entire month of vacation days? Or what mm. would they do with an entire extra day every fucking week? Mm-hmm. You know? And just watch them be like, yeah, I like having my car. I have stickers on it. Like, fuck your car. That's not your car. <laughs> your bank owns it until you, until you yes. miss one payment. And that's how everything, single thing in your house is. Mm. Yeah. But I just want to say, yeah, you, you know, getting people to think with their own brain is what you have to do. To You can't win an argument. You've never, no one's ever won an argument. All you can, the best you can do is plant seeds, but you have to get people to, to stop just white knuckling it through these pre-programmed responses and this defense of a system. So tell them, you know, say, hey, what would you do with an entire, like basically an entire month every year that you spend driving, you know? Ask them like to think about how much time you spend complaining about your regular life. Sack up all that time, all the time that restaurant workers spend complaining about their shitty workplace and the things that are just the way that they are. That I, I find the majority of Americans, when they're off work, spend their time complaining about work and things related to it. We complain about our political system. We complain about the environment as if it's something that's just happening. Or we don't talk about it at all. That's much more disturbing that that my generation and people I grew up with do not talk about these things. And that's much, much worse than them complaining about them. But I think that if we can just get people to think in their own mind and ask their own damn questions and to stop just, to get them to realize that they've been propagandized, to get them to realize that they've been conditioned and that their minds have been stolen from them and that our media apparatus is a weapon, is a weapon of consciousness that is that spends trillions of dollars every year, you know, because I'll include advertising in that to hijack our thoughts and control the things that we think and our associations. That is owned, our media apparatus is owned by six companies. Do you think six private corporations have our best interest at heart? You know, it's just like, there's endless arguments for how stupid the system is, but if you can't get people to step back into their own reality, their own experience of it and question it, it doesn't mean anything. And that's, that's a weird phenomenon that we just kind of have to accept like there's a threshold to which people can imagine things. And I get, I come back to this a lot that, that the, and I'll, I'll close the loop here that money has taken trust out of society. It is an antitrust ritual that reinforces the fact that I can't trust you to get me back. So um, here's this token, which seems very innocuous, but then you repeat that billions of times every single day. And you think about that like the little uh, Islamic call to prayer every time, you know? You think about that like it's reinforcing this relationship with a God. And it, it is a mechanism that has destroyed trust in and out of the home. It has destroyed our ability to walk down the street and not assume that someone's gonna fucking randomly knife us. (laughs) because that's a fear we have and that lack of trust has taken away our imagination because if you don't trust you can't sit comfortably in your own thoughts you are in a constant state of anxiety and you know anxiety like when I smoke weed and I like get hit with anxiety I like just turn the dial all the way up and go all the way into it and that takes me into like going from imagining what other people are thinking about me to like imagining new people and imagining new worlds and things like that but essentially, this, this constricted, stressed out state that we're in all the time because of money, which is the number one cause of stress in 80% of countries. That's a nice little factoid for you. Um, and no one's talking about it. No politician in any of those countries is like, hey, we need to cut the number one cause of stress in all these countries. No one's talking about it. But yeah, um, 
I'm losing my train of thought here. Uh, yeah, if you can get people to think with their own brain and actually step into that imagination, because that's really what we lack. Because there are many, many possible worlds. There are many uh, op options that we have. We are not constrained to one brutal fate, one sword that's going to cleave us into this, this or this, you know, scenario. And as we transition to this society, it will not be a switch. It will mm. not be an iron curtain that blankets us all in moneylessness. You know, it can't be. It has to be something that is dispersed and decentralized, something that is freely interpreted by many, many, many peoples, showing many, many different options and alternatives and doing it their way and showing people how much more freedom there is. You know, mm -hmm. we don't have the freedom. to. We have the freedom to choose which, which landlord we rent from. But do we really have the, the freedom to design our own home? I mean, and that might sound like, a, you, know, a, a, you know, a lot of skills to take on. You know, we, do we have the freedom? I just, I, 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 to I, choose our own home. Here. You know, mm -hmm. we don't have the freedom to design our world. We have no control over anything that happens to us all the time, except for what flavor of fucking ice cream we choose. And that's a silly thing that people overlook for some reason. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm just, well, I'm, I'm running on you're speaking the to the These fact days. that people white knuckle their beliefs and their ideologies because they're so afraid of losing what their definition of freedom is. You know, again, mm. going back to how our purchasing power is directly linked to uh, our perception of freedom. And in order to bypass or head off at the pass, a lot of conventional arguments that that I personally encounter, I'm sure the rest of us do, too, when we start bringing up these concepts is to simply say, and as Marlo said much earlier in the conversation, you're projecting your fears onto the solution versus realizing that's the reality you're living. Uh, people are like, well, degrowth sounds restrictive. De degrowth sounds like I won't be able to enjoy that little plastic thing that I get for a quarter out of the machine at the restaurant. Or I won't be able to make that Amazon order and get those, you know, things that I enjoy so much that seem to make life fulfilling or what have you. And, and I think that's one of the biggest struggles is just being able to effectively articulate the benefits because they are nearly inconceivable when you try or in, well i guess that would be the word inconceivable or maybe imperceivable when you try and envision what does a world look like where consumption isn't the driving force but yet is fulfilling how do you describe that right uh but again getting back to the restrictive nature of the system we are living in now just reminding people hey oh so i i sense some fear or anxiety in your voice when you say that you don't want to have that thing missing from your life well here's the thing that thing that that you don't want to see missing from your life it is trying and failing at filling a void that could be filled such more such more such more uh, more effectively i'm sorry and uh and in ways that don't harm you or the environment or your neighbors and that's the world that we're striving to create we're not trying to restrict your ass access to the things that you think make you happy and that probably do make you happy we're trying to help you understand that the system we live in now is inherently restrictive you are restricted from out the gate as soon as you're born there's a bill for you being born and when you die there's a bill for you dying like there's nothing free in this world as it stands right now and that's what we've got to get past and hopefully help people to understand that that's what we're trying to do we're not trying to take from them we're trying to make sure that there is something to have in the future yeah like, I'll, uh, I'll counter that real quick. That oh okay yeah the the in the moments and memories in our lives that are the most precious to us almost never cost a dollar. You know, mm. it's you know maybe you have that nostalgic trip to Disney World as a kid, but I mean how much more satisfaction and bliss 
did you find just playing in the backyard, you know, going into your own imagination or playing with Legos or something that those, those were my, you know, moments of enjoyment. And you could say that costs some, some, there's some money in there, but it's like, you know, spending time with your family, spending time with your loved ones, having sex, doing drugs, <laughs> these things don't uh, cut that. Sorry. <laughs> I mean, I the best moments <laughs> yeah, in life just, don't cost a thing, right? That's the point. Yeah. That relationships them, are what bring fine. us meaning. And, mm-hmm. you know, people may think, well, but I love my Netflix. Think about those people who only have that, though. Think about mm-hmm. those really sad, lonely people with the mm-hmm. RGB keyboards <laughs> who I resent uh, that. only only <laughs> have, oh, sorry, Amanda, uh, who only have media, who only have video games, who only mm-hmm. have things that money can buy. Yeah. And you look at somebody like Trump or Elon Musk, do these people really seem happy to you? They seem like they're addicted to drugs on Twitter, um, you know, just unhappy, complaining, never satisfied. It's never enough. That it's a fucking cliche that money does not buy you happiness. Uh, yeah, that it's a, money is a hygiene factor. If you don't have enough of it, you're going to be fucking unhappy. But up to a certain point when your basic needs are met, after you go over that, it doesn't really improve your quality of life. And that's not just, you know, what every mystic and person with common sense has said for all time. That's some pretty hard science. There's social science that we've been studying these things that ultimately a lot of all of the things, maybe not all of them, but most of the things that we are talking about are actually, hello, based in social science. They are in alignment with what the science and the, the peer reviewed, meticulous, you know, falsifiable uh, studies that people have been do- have been doing over the last hundred years, you know, between now and you know whenever the the big hot thing was communism or whatever it is that people think that we're pushing, we are talking about applying science to our system. We are talking about up- upgrading and updating our view of reality with what we can observe tangibly, with what we can repeat tangibly, with all the experiments, with all the study, with all the academic work that is ignored every minute of every day to continue punishing people for crimes and rewarding them for tasks when we know these things these these motivations that are the very primal that drive us that we think <clears throat> that we think that these are what makes the world go round when we actually study them in experiments and when we look at the volumes of data that we have it contradicts every one of them and all the fundamental gravities in our world are false and our narratives are false and our economics is not based in science and our whole system is based upon a, a, a series of lies or half truths or, or un, untruths and we are working you know to align ourselves with not just some you know moral um, imperative that we must you know protect the working class and that we must you know undo the evil doers it that's not really where we're coming from we're coming from a very scientific place of being skeptical that all of us here didn't didn't get picked or didn't pick uh, mate pair off, you know, uh, with the ideology, you know, we're not, we're not over here banging one book or one way of thinking. We are actually able to skeptically question our own thoughts and apply them to the rigors of science. I think oh, that was no. God. Um, I think that was God uh, getting on to me for um, being, um, you know, a little too <laughs> empirical and scientific. <laughs> sorry lord i'll get back to uh flagellating myself and uh you know burning little <laughs> candles and things like that for your uh for your benefit well i i love that and i'm actually gonna 
and I, I think we'll we'll start to wrap this up here because this this has been an awesome conversation and and I, I really love all of your all of your insights and and I want to let all of you know that I truly do believe that um, each of you are revolutionaries and that we, we are going to change the world. I, I truly believe that. Likewise. And, and it's thank you. And I think it's hard because you know the questions that we've kind of been raising to today of just like whether we are free or not is it's it's so complex and and. And obviously, there's so many ways that we're we're not free to the way, free in the way that we want to be, and free in the way that we need to be. And yet, I still can't I still can't deny that it like I we can wake up each day with the mindset that we're going to change the world, and if we do that enough times, we will change it. Um, and so I want I want to leave our listeners, um, if possible, if God decides to bring Marlo back, um, I wanna I wanna leave our listeners with um, just kind of some some action items and some uh, maybe just some comfort and and knowing that um, knowing some ways that that we can begin this change. Um, and Amanda, let's go ahead and start with you. Awesome. Well, uh, I will refer to what I commonly do, and that is for you listeners to find the courage to look within. It's, it actually doesn't take that much. Um, it, it only requires a lot of courage when you start to live what you find inside. Um, but to look within and start questioning and be very objective and honest with yourself, well, what is it about this moneyless society concept that makes you afraid to embrace it, that makes you afraid to speak on it or to um, introduce it to your friends and family or what have you? And, and then on the comforting side of that, Obviously, you're not alone in the way that you're thinking. Uh, the things that your gut tell you, uh, the little voices in your head, if you will, that say, you know what, I don't want to get up and go to work today, and I don't know why I have to. That's okay. Obviously, a lot of people agree with you at this point in time in, in our history, and uh, you're not lazy, and you're not inferior, and you're not less. You're actually some would argue more and, 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 and inside of you, you have the ability to do more than what you've been uh, subscribed. Uh, you have the ability uh, to realize potentials that are nearly inconceivable and it's okay for you to not want to spend your time clocking in at nine and clocking out at five and making other people rich and giving people the opportunity, uh, other people the opportunity to destroy uh, the world that we live in. Uh, so, so if you're thinking outside of that box, it's totally okay. And uh, we want you to keep thinking outside of that box and realize your potential. Mm, thanks. Matt? That's awesome. Um, yeah, I think that um, Amanda is a great uh all great points and i agree with everything um i like to add too just just be curious and open-minded about the whole thing you know and and encourage others to be as well i think that's the, kind of one of the main uh things that i see people just apprehensive you know of just kind of opening up to these ideas i think in general and just you know there, there there's so many negative stereotypes about all, all these things that are kind of circulating around just kind of talking about and clearing the air a little bit saying well there are people doing you know this and this and you know there's there's groups of people out there you're not alone you know and you can log into our our facebook group there's thousands of people in there that are you know like-minded discussing these topics uh there's books on the subject there's movies um you know, I mean, there's as other far organizations. As, yeah, exactly. There's other organizations that would all love, you know, to have people's help and, and volunteer and support and everything like that as well. Um, Especially ours. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
and uh, and I mean, there's no lack of things to do to you know to try to move in these directions, is whether it be improving you know conditions within your community and and reaching out to your neighbors, developing networks and relationships, things like that, you know, trying to just create abundance in your own life and in your community. I mean, essentially, that's what a lot of this comes down to is is what we're trying to do is create abundance through these systems in our you know, own homes and our communities and, and, and around us. And a lot of that really just starts with reaching out to people, developing relationships um, and, and talking about these ideas, kind of throwing them around and, and, and talking about them like, you know, maybe, maybe some of this is actually a possibility, but, you know, at least kind of clearing the air. And, and I think that's a really good place to start with all this because you can't really do much without just even getting these ideas out there first. And, and 90% of the time, a lot of the people just haven't even heard of a lot of these concepts or thought that these things are possible. And, and I think we really kind of are in the creating awareness stage a lot, a lot of the time, you know, I mean, it's nice to, you know, want to take action, but, you know, we kind of need to gather enough resources and uh, people and support and everything in order to really take significant action. And I feel like we're getting to that point, but it's still probably going to be a little while before we really start to move the needle on some of this. But, you know, the more people are aware of it, the more of these conversations start happening, uh, the closer we'll be to all of that. And so that's why I really, truly appreciate, you know, but people like yourself, Nate, are doing here with your, you know, Kindness, Kindness Rebellion podcast and having us on and, and spreading the word with all this. And um, I think you're doing an awesome job and keep up the fabulous work and I'd be happy to come on, you know, again in the future and do more more work with you and really appreciate all the help and support you've given us as, as well for everything too. So I mean, mean that sincerely and it Ditto. means a lot. And yeah, and, um, you know, just love it. Love to keep working with you in the future too. I think it's awesome. So thanks again. Mm. Likewise. Thanks, man. Marlo, send us off. I'm just thinking about um, a scene that I filmed with my good friend, Professor Jeff Cates, on a mountain overlooking the city for the film we've been working on. And he said um, at the end of his class, where his uh, students' minds have been blown out the side of their head by pretty pretty inarguable change to their view of history and sociology and the dynamics of human relationships because he's basically radicalizing his students you know with this curriculum as a professional professor he says they ask him what do i do what can i do about this and he said you can't do anything only we can do something only we can do something about this and i think that's very powerful and resonant and i think that like I went to an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting the other day, which, you know, a lot of critiques with that entity, that system, but I was craving community and connection and uh, don't drink alcohol. So I figured I'd get it there. I didn't, but whatever. And I was just really upset and taken aback, really, that all these people pulling up their chairs to sit in a circle and be together and have this, and they all spoke of this religious you know, camaraderie and this feeling that they got there, that it saved their lives. And I, I never really got that from, you know, that group because I kind of know like after that little hour of uh, dopamine or serotonin that people get from that, that sense of contemporary community, they go back to their individualized lives. They go back to their house in their car and then they go to their job and they experience their problems and don't really question the structure of their society that made them want to dissolve their brain in poison to begin with. You know, 
It's, it's all personal. It's all individual. It's all you. It's all my sickness, my trauma. When we all have trauma, because we're in a soup of it. We're in a, tra- a traumatizing system. We're in a system that's built upon conflict and competition and scarcity and lack. And so these sicknesses we all deal with and the problems that we experience every single day of our lives are utterly predictable. And after a while, I don't feel satisfied scratching the itch of complaining about them all the time. I have to do something about it. I have to think that, that, you know, as this beautiful Chris Christopherson song, uh, To Beat the Devil says, you know, if you waste your time uh, talking to the people who don't listen to the things that you're saying, who do you think is going to care? That you, that, that you could die explaining that the things they complain about are things they can be changing. You know, and that I think about that pretty much every day in some form that the, the things we bitch about, we can change. We can change them. We can create an alternative system. We can scratch our itch for community and sociality and connection that we seek in bars and clubs and social clubs and, you know, podcasts and Facebook groups and social media and all these things that don't quite hit it by forming permaculture, permanent culture, forming communities, forming collective enterprises where we come together and say, okay, being a person is too fucking hard for one person. It was never meant to be this way. The human being alone in nature is fucking preposterous. If there, if you were, if you see a human being wandering alone in nature, they're a killer. That's somebody who's been kicked out of society. Uh, that's not a human being. A human being is a collective enterprise. We are a social organism, like an ant. We're not like an ant. We're more than that. Not to say that ants aren't great and amazing, and that nature itself isn't this interconnected web of relationships. You know, there is no, there is no sole being. There is no individual. Even you yourself are comprised of billions of microorganisms that make up your body. So. You don't exist as an individual. And as long as you internalize all this and say, whoa, what can I do? You can't do shit. Sorry. And so we have to come together. And we can. And life gets way easier when we share the burden of being alive. And it stops being a burden to put food on the table. What a stupid thing. that We've we've been human beings for like 300,000 years. And many of us, most of us, do not have it really figured out how to eat food. How to just get like a, the right nutrients in us, you know? And I'm, I'm making a broad generalization because indigenous peoples have that shit way figured out. They're healthy. Mm-hmm. They don't need to go to personal trainers and psychologists and philosophers and Alcoholics Anonymous meetings. They don't, you know, devolve into an addictive mass when they touch a poison because they have it figured out as we need to get it together. It's very simple. We need to collectivize. We need to work together. We need to stop thinking about ourselves and our own little problems and our own little successes and our own little struggles and, and grow the fuck up and work together. Hmm. Amen to that. <laughs> Thanks, everyone. This, this has been an awesome conversation. I really appreciate all of your time. Yeah, thank you. um, this will happen again. Appreciate you all. Thanks for having us we on, appreciate Nate. You, it's a Nate. pleasure. Keep doing what you're doing. Of course. You're great, Nate. <laughs> Keep it up, brother. Thanks. Now that is a wrap on season one of the Kindness Rebellion. Thank you guys so much for listening to this. Uh, please make sure make sure to share, like, subscribe. You know, do whatever it is you do to let me know that you like it. Um, please go over and check out all of the Moneyless Society stuff. Like, like and follow their pages, join their groups, things like that. Um, follow the podcast, listen to their podcast. They have so much good content um, that just 
it just needs to be seen. It needs to be heard. So please check that out. Also, um, go to moneylesssociety.com to um, uh, get the book that just was released, The Moneyless Society, The Next Economic Evolution. At the time that we recorded this, it hadn't quite been released yet, but it is now available for purchase. So um, go ahead and check that out on moneylesssociety.com. And then uh, once again, let's go ahead and just shout out the other members of the Moneyless Society that I've already networked with and their projects. Um, Again, Rod Keys in his book, The Naturally Good Man. Uh, Thomas Wright and his company, Phobos Tech, and that's P-H-O-B-O-S, Tech. Uh, and his uh, his YouTube channels, Black Body Economics and Creation Tribe. Make sure to check those out. He's got some good content on there. Um, Michael Plischke and his app, Communivate. Uh, absolutely love, absolutely love Michael. We've uh, we've worked together on a lot of different things, and he's an absolutely awesome person. Super motivated and. That man is going to help change the world. I know it. And then um, also Lavra and their uh, website, Magnova. So thank you so much for listening. Please check out all these projects. Help grow this network. It's the only way we're going to change the world. Um, and just to really wrap up this season, I just want to thank everybody again for for listening. This has been a, a very, very powerful experience for me to kind of put myself out there and and push these ideas and have these really – um, meaningful conversations while also just dealing with the fact that it is really hard and a lot of the things that we're trying to change are are massive monsters that feel insurmountable but it's amazing just some of the growth that we have seen and just the mindset shifts and just the conversations it's it's opening people's eyes we're seeing change we're seeing we're seeing growth and uh, and even though it's going to be a long way it's going to happen we're heading there and uh, thank you so much for all of your support and please continue to support every time you guys tell me that you've listened to this podcast and that, you know, you liked it. It really means a lot. So thank you so much. And um, we'll see you in season two. Thanks. <laughs>